I don't know how many of you enjoy social media, but if you were on Facebook in the last few weeks, you very likely saw a posting that asked you to list the best thing that happened in the last decade. Did anybody see that? No? The best thing that happened in the last decade. Okay, think of it now. If you look back over the past 10 years, what was the best thing? When I did that, I had one thing come to mind. It was grandchildren. In the last decade, three grandchildren. And being a grandmama is the best, right? And if you want to see pictures, I have a lot of them on my phone. I'd be very willing to share with all of you as soon as church is over. You know, one thing that I've realized about being a grandmama is that I have a little different perspective on the children than I had on my own children. You know, there's a little bit of distance, a little bit of understanding. And I had a lot of thoughts over Christmas watching my grandchildren grow and learn and interact. And I wanted to feed those thoughts. So I got, of course, to my biggest source, Google. And I Googled it. And I found a very interesting article, which the site was called The Thoughtful Parent. Imagine that. I figured that would work for a thoughtful grandparent as well. And they had written an article on research-backed parenting goals for 2020. Now, I do realize that not all of you are parents. Especially you in the front row. Not all of you are grandparents. Not all of you even have really any children in your lives. But you know, if you're in this congregation today, you do have children in your lives. And every one of you has an opportunity to influence these young people in this church. So I want you to listen and I want you to think. Goals. What would our goals be for our children? Let me tell you what the research says. Number one, first parenting goal we should have for our young people this year is simplicity. Less is more. Fewer toys, more one-on-one -on -one involvement. Number two, allow risks. Don't put your kids in the bubble. Not a good place for them. I see you're smiling. It says, research says that children learn persistence, grit, and confidence by doing hard things. Number three, work with them. Studies show that children have a natural leaning towards helping if we will only let them and teach them. And four, do not let screen interaction take the place of one-on-one -on -one person interaction. Now, if I ask the young people in this congregation if that would be their goals for their parents for 2020, we might not get high ratings. 
But as parents, we often must make unpopular decisions for the good of our children, right? Our goal cannot always be their immediate happiness. But we must be always mindful that we are growing little human beings. We are teaching them how to be in relationship to other human beings and forming the characters for the next generation. Forming the characters for heaven itself. Now the question is, why would we think that our Heavenly Father would have less high expectations and goals for his children? Why would we ever think that our happiness is his greatest goal? He never said that. So what did he say? I think we often confuse God and his mighty armies of angels with Santa Claus and his mighty flying reindeer. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, right? He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, right? And then if you are good, obviously, he fills your life with all the good things you put on your list, right? From a parenting point of view, that sounds pretty indulgent to me. I mean, do you parent your children that way? But our father is not materialistic, and he's not that shallow. He doesn't streak through the sky and drop down presents on all the good girls and boys. But every single day of the year, he is looking at you. And he is moving in close to you. He is coaxing you and loving you and wants nothing more than for you to reach out and know him and have that eye-to-eye kind of relationship with him. Every day, more than anything, he wants a relationship with you. But because he is also God, not just a father, his goals are even higher. What he really wants more than your happiness is your holiness. This call to holiness is written all throughout this book, again and again and again. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16. Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Maybe that's referencing all those things we thought would make us happy. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also 
be holy in all your conduct. It's kind of a family resemblance thing. He is your father and he is holy and you are his children and you should be holy. Later in the book, Peter talks about the followers of Jesus being a royal priesthood, right? All of us are part of the royal priesthood. But you remember back in the Old Testament when the high priest dressed up and he put on all those fancy clothes? He had a turban and he had a little gold plate on his turban. Anybody remember what the gold plate said? Was it happiness to the Lord? No, it was holy to the Lord. From the very beginning, God has asked his people to be holy. But let me ask you, how does the word holy hit you? Does it sound like something you would like to be? Or does it sound kind of like stuffy? Maybe a little boring? Like who wants to be holy? You know? When I was a kid, my mother used the expression to, to um, describe Christians. She said that Christians were holier than thou. And believe me, that was not a compliment. Interestingly, in both the Hebrew and in the Greek forms of the word holy, the word means sacred or to be made clean. Holiness. Think about working out in the muddy, messy fall leaves, raking them up in a cold November drizzle and then stepping into a hot, steaming shower. Holiness. The refreshing wonder of being clean. But isn't holiness impossible? I mean, have you looked in the mirror lately? Holiness, that whole holy conduct thing, it just sounds like we can never do it. Paul has some things to say about it. And we actually read about it in your um, the scripture reading today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses through, 3 through 5. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Side note, what kind of blessings does he give us? I think the word would be spiritual, okay? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he decided in advance to adopt us as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Oh, the blessing he gave us. He made us holy. He adopted us when Jesus switched places with us. Through Jesus, our Father has provided 
the grace which makes us children of God. He not only called us to be holy, he provided the holiness. Now, he never said that our happiness was his first concern. He has much greater things on his mind. So why do we think he said that? I have a very dear friend who on the first day of the new year posted a meme on Facebook. It's that very famous picture of the hand of God reaching down to the hand of Adam reaching up by Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel. And with that picture, it posted the words, let me get them straight. It said, this year, I made you strong. Next year, I'm going to make you happy. I thought, oh, well, that fits perfectly with my sermon, doesn't it? But isn't it what we all want? Don't we just want to be happy? Is that so much to ask? We struggle with so many battles. Keeping ourselves financially afloat. We see wrong and we wonder, how do we stand for the right? There is sickness and there is death and there are math problems we'll never understand. You know, this week alone, we have heard rumblings of, of world war. We've heard rumblings of earthquakes. We've seen the crumbling of miles of forests in Australia. There is so much that destroys our happiness. I have to confess that since I was a child, I've kind of struggled with this. My mother was an atheist, and she never did forgive God when he allowed her little sister to drown in a tragic accident when my mom was 18. Yet every week, she would take my sister and myself to my grandmother's house on the weekends to go to church. Now, she often would, after we'd been to my grandmother's house or after we'd been to church, she would come up with all these questions about God and who he was and why he let stuff happen. And I was just a kid and I didn't know how to answer and I just kind of fell back into a corner and I tried to defend God, but I didn't know. It's a hard question. Often when we were driving, there was a little bit of another argument. It was called, which radio station do we listen to? Now, my mother liked Whistler Radio, WSLR, country. Now, you can see my teenage eyes rolling back in my head, right? And the, the rule kind of was that when you got in the car, remember on the old dash, they had all those punch buttons? Whoever punched first won. Well, one day when we were driving down the road, and my mother had won, there was a singer by the name of Lynn Anderson who started belting out a song, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Yes, you know this, okay? And I kind of had an epiphany. I looked over at my mom and I said, Mom, maybe that's how God feels. 
He never really did promise us a rose garden. Look at how Jesus had to live when he was here. My mom got quiet and there wasn't much conversation after that. But I think it started her wheels turning in her brain too. Many years later, my mom did become a Christian. And that song always remained one of her favorites. He never promised us a rose garden. But many Christians seem to feel the same way. They think that if you are a follower of God, you should be blessed with abundance and prosperity and everything should work out well for you. There are a couple texts in the Bible that can be interpreted that way if you don't look deeply. We're just going to look at two of them this morning. Turn with me to Psalm 37, 4 through 6, if you would, please. Psalm 37, verses 4 through 6, and I bet many of you can quote it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I first read that text when I was a kid, before I had the discussions with my mom, and I thought, that's a gold mine. It's a promise. My heart had lots of desires. And here it was, him promising that everything I desired he was going to do. Woo! Ho, ho, ho. But the psalm doesn't stop there, like I did when I was 12. The psalm goes on if you keep reading. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your, did it say bank account? No. Does, um, he will bring forth all the struggles in your marriage. No, 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 that's not right. He will bring perfect health. No, that's not right either. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. What he promises us is righteousness. In Hebrew, that word also can be translated to be cleansed. Remember that hot shower on that cold day? To be cleansed. And where do we get righteousness? Only from Jesus. If your heart is committed, if you trust in him, he promises cleansing, righteousness, not all the items on your Christmas list because he is a good parent. He knows what you really need. Matthew 7, 7 is another text you're very familiar with. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It's very familiar to us. And it sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? I mean, God's a good father. You ask and he gives you stuff, right? There's a parallel passage to this, these texts in the book of Luke. And I want you to look with me in Luke 11, 9. Luke 11, 9. Luke 
continue, he also says ask and, and knock and the door will be opened. But he ends it a little differently. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you see the difference? Do you see the step higher? Again, what God is trying to form with us more than anything. What we are really looking for is that relationship. Jesus never mentions helping you find an attractive partner. Sorry, guys. He doesn't mention a, a vacation home in the Bahamas. Jesus is talking about giving us the greatest gift of all. The ability for God to live in us. For us to have a closer connection with him than we have ever imagined. He saves us and he makes us holy by his grace. And he gives us the power to live holy lives through the indwelling of his spirit. He's focused on the relationship. Jesus showed us Emmanuel, God with us. And then he turned around and gave us the Holy Spirit, God in us. It's an amazing thing for, for my brain to even begin to wrap around. So, if you were God and you were going to make your parenting goals for 2020, based maybe not on so much research, but maybe based on this book, what would your parenting goals be? Again, we start with the premise that we started when we were talking about you and the children in your lives. As parents, we often must make unpopular decisions for the good of our children. Our goal cannot always be their immediate happiness, but we must be always mindful that we are growing little human beings, teaching them how to be in relationship to, one, to other human beings and forming the characters of the next generation, forming their characters for heaven itself. If we feel that way about our kids, think how much more God feels that about you. Number one, His first goal might be he would like to keep your life simple. He would like you to focus on your relationship with him instead of all the toys and games. And I'm not talking only about this kind. Number two, he is going to allow you some risks. He is not going to keep you in a bubble. He knows that he needs children who will be able to stand against the enemy. He's very well aware of the things we cannot see behind the curtain where the enemy is constantly trying to take us over. And he knows that we are all going to need a goodly amount of strength and sureness of him. 
He knows that these trials will create in us persistence, grit, and confidence that he can do hard things. Number three, he wants you to work with him. He wants whatever you're doing for him to be a part of it. He has so many things to teach you. He has so many things you haven't understood yet. And he wants to show you. He wants you to work by his side because he'd really like you to learn to do them his way. And you know we struggle with that. And number four, no matter how old you are, he is eager for you to put your relationship with him before your screen time. I'm not just talking about gaming, or I'm not just talking about being on your cell phone. How about those of you who take your laptop with you everywhere you go and are working on it to all hours of the night? How about those of you who are so tired that you just sit down in front of the TV and veg? This is something that applies to all of us children. It's clear that God is focused on a relationship with us. And he is focused on creating holiness in us. But the question is, why? Why is that such a big deal to him? If we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, picking up in, in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Paul continues. In him, Jesus, we have redemption. Hear that, it's done. We have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Do you love that word? He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Did you get all that? Paul can be a little tricky to unravel. We have been bought out of slavery, and not because we deserved it, so that all things in heaven and on earth can be united. Why? Because more than anything, our Father wants a relationship with us that will eventually bring us face to face. For heaven and earth to come together and for us to be with him face to face. We do have a compassionate Father. So every detail of our life matters to Him. He knows you need that raise. And if He counts all the hairs on your head, He can certainly see behind your eyes and know the temptations that you battle every day. He knows how far the cancer has spread. And he knows about those relationships 
that you just don't even know what to do about. He knows that there are some mornings you wake up and you say, I don't think I can do this anymore. He knows. He cares. He's in tune. He's listening. He hears you. But he is also a wise father. He knows that there is a different kind of happiness than what we are offered here on earth. A holy kind of happiness that comes from really knowing him. Earthly happiness only promises things that don't always fulfill us. But then he promises us a happiness that doesn't just affect our lives here and now, but promises to last throughout eternity. You know, I don't imagine eternity very well, but whatever that looks like, it's forever. And that's the kind of holiness he wants to give us. As I've gotten older, I've come to realize that though every detail of our lives matters to Jesus, to our Father, to the Holy Spirit, what matters the most is getting us home. And that requires holiness. If he can draw you in by the good things in your lives, he is going to put those good things in your lives so you can see his goodness and celebrate who he is. But we live in a battlefield. And Satan is always at work to divide us from our Father. And sometimes, you know, he does a pretty good job. But Jesus has the ability to not just give us the good gifts. He has the ability to take the ugly, hurtful, desperate, mean, nasty things that all of us experience and use them to draw us closer to him. He uses those broken pieces and rebuilds them into something that looks an awful lot like a father-child relationship, close and meaningful and dear. He doesn't just want us to be like Jesus. Remember, he lavished his grace upon us so that his spirit could live in us so that we could truly be one with him. He wants us to be holy because holiness is our ticket home. There was once a mother who had a son. She had a very, very difficult time carrying him. And one of the premier doctors in this country looked at her with raised eyebrows and said, you know your son is a miracle, right? She did. And she did her best to raise her son wisely. Some days she did a really good job. And some days she failed terribly. 
the two of them had a very special bond. But as the son grew older, he started looking for a type of happiness that he wasn't offered at home. He began resisting the way that his parents did things. And before long, he tossed aside his upbringing and dashed willy-nilly into the wild oats. At night, his mother would lay in bed and pray. She would wake up and think, I wonder where he is. I wonder what he's doing. Weeks would pass, and she wouldn't hear from him. As time passed, he got a little older, and, and he would come home more. But he always kept things like a joke, kind of loud and whatever, so that he could avoid real conversation, real, real questions real closeness. Christmas came and the mom said, when are you coming home, son? And he avoided her question. When, when will you be here? He said, it's a surprise. But I have to know how to plan. It's a surprise. It'll be sooner than later. The mom was pretty frustrated. But then one night, much sooner than she anticipated, she heard footsteps in her bedroom and felt the arms of a great big bear hug wrapped tight around her. I just flew in, Mom. I didn't have room for presents. The mom said, it's all right, son. You are the gift. What matters me, to me more than anything is that you're home. My son has taught me more about the heart of God than any college classes or a thousand sermons. You see, you and I are the strong-willed child searching for nothing more than our happiness and our satisfaction. You and I are spoiled and entitled you and I have made our personal happiness our greatest goal, and we have indulged in every drop of it that we could lick up. And as we look back, we have made so many mistakes, and there are still so many things that we don't understand. But in spite of it all, in spite of the fact that when we're honest with our hearts, we don't see a very pretty sight. We have a Father who loves us lavishly. 
who has redeemed us and makes us clean with the holy robe of Jesus' grace. And when it is all said and done, all he really wants is finally to have us home.